Hi fam, and welcome to a Sober Girls podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I have been sober for 11 years, and through that time have been through my own ups and downs, not only with staying sober, but also learning to live life on life's terms. If you are listening to this, then you have previously or are currently struggling and are ready to take certain steps to get better. Alcoholism has affected each of us differently, but we all have the same stories, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. You are ready to make a change in your life, and we are glad to have you here. This community is one of strength, commonality, and inclusion. The only way we stay sober is to help the suffering alcoholic and addict, and I am ready to take you on that journey with me. So let's get started. What's up, fam? Happy Wednesday. I hope that you're all doing amazing. This is podcast episode take two because I recorded an episode and then I went to go send it to Jacob and guess what? I deleted it. (laughs) So uh, I guess you guys didn't need to hear that episode. Maybe it was just more therapeutic for me than it was anything for you. So we are going to be doing this again. It may be a little bit of a shit show. It might not. I'm not sure. But we're about to find out. So before I do move on to the topic at hand, I wanted to know, did any of you get your to-go bags? Did any of you do your emergency backup kits? I walked into um, a store the other day and a guy was getting a ton of water and he said that he hasn't drank in four and a half years and so the best thing he can do is have just a ton of non-alcoholic drinks and I thought that was absolutely awesome. So I do know that there are people putting it into practice which is beautiful. Truly truly showing that it works if you work it. So going off of that and it works if you work it I was thinking about the The fact that we have these toolkits and we have these things that we are able to do because of our sobriety, right? And it goes back to, for me, thinking about this podcast and thinking about how far we've come in this past year that we've been together, how far I've come in this past year together. It really shows that the promises do work. And in case you forgot what the promises are, let me let me read them to you. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So why are the promises so important? Why at that point, at nine steps later, 
do the promises come through? Why, why not at 12 or 11? You know, there's this whole remaining three steps that we have to get through. So why are we talking about the promises in step nine? Because in step nine, we're making amends to people. Okay. In step nine, we have to be willing to make amends, except when to do so would hurt ourselves or others. So before it states on page 83, the promises, right? It talks about what alcoholism is. So let's talk about that. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarks, Don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry will not fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are their own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs that we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Some people cannot be seen and we can send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We do not crawl before anyone. So that's the phase that we have to be painstaking about, right? We have to be painstaking about the reconstruction phase. As a survivor of domestic abuse, they say it takes twice as long to reverse the damage of what was done to us as it did what as it did what happened to us. So, if I was in relationship for that for 10 years, it's going to take 20 years to reverse all that. And I never really thought about it up until recently, and that's probably pretty accurate. I think this past year, probably within the past mm, 5 to 6 months maybe. Probably 5 to 6 months. I've really started to let go of the mistrust that I had because of my previous marriage. I really started to let go of the anger and the hate and the fear. I was able to finally speak my mind 
and tell people in my life, I don't accept the way you're speaking to me. I don't accept the way that you're acting around me because I know what I deserve. I know what I'm capable of and I know what I want. And so for me, starting to see that turn around, I truly can understand that behaviors take a lot longer than words because people can tell me I can trust them till they're blue in the face and it's not going to stick until I see action. Am I a trusting person? Absolutely. Um, But when it gets down to the intimacy of it, I'm really not as trusting as I once was. So, you know, and we are like tornadoes. So flipping it back over to AA, we really are like tornadoes. And man, do we wreak some havoc. Really, truly, we do. Even if we don't catch a charge or kill someone in a car accident or, you know, lose custody of our kids, there's still plenty of wreckage to be done. There's financial wreckage. There's um, work wreckage, affections, relationships, there's, there's a lot of wreckage that we can leave in our path. And so when we do the steps and when we go through getting ready to make amends to people, and it's really hard to make amends to people that still hurt you, but the best thing that I've learned about AA, that AA has taught me, is my responsibility. Everybody has a responsibility in some aspect to some portion of the incident shall we call it. So I have always kind of been a victim. I have always kind of, you know, been a why does this happen to me person uh, until I got sober. And then once I sobered up, I was like, oh man, yes, these things happen to me. But at the same time, there was a lot of things that also happened for me. So it's really hard for me to equivocally pin something down on someone and say that later on I didn't have a part in the, in the responsibility of it. Um, there are things in our childhood that we absolutely are not responsible for and we're not responsible for the rapes or the, what I'm saying is our part is the reaction. Our part is how we let it affect us. Our part is how we treat that person after. Our part, there's so many intricate pieces to our part and they are very difficult to deal with. They're very, very hard to deal with. It doesn't lessen what we've been through. But we do have to be able to, to the people we hurt, that we either set out to intentionally hurt or did not intentionally hurt, we have to be willing to say we're sorry. And we have to be able to not criticize or analyze them and their character defects because that still doesn't make us a better person. Well, they have this character defect. Well, that doesn't matter. That Like, their character defects don't matter. So being able to swallow your pride and being able to... (laughs) say you're sorry to someone even but as we do this and we continue to grow the promises do come true and the reason why I hammer so hard on you know just keeping your side of the street clean and not worrying about other people's character defects 
is because if you continue to take other people's inventory while you're doing this, or you say, yeah, but they, yeah, but they, then that's going to cause a resentment and you're never truly going to be happy, joyous, and free. You're going to hang on to that resentment for forever. So even if something truly horrible happened to you and you cannot bring yourself to talk to that person, then don't. Then forgive yourself and forgive them and move on. But the most important part of this is forgiving yourself. Um, because if you don't forgive yourself too, you will really truly be unhappy for a very long time. Being able to give yourself that permission to just let yourself go and understand that things that happen to you are not your fault in most or a large amount of areas is okay. I don't know if you guys uh, watch sports, care about sports, anything like that, but there is a documentary on Manti Teo, and he was a football player for Notre Dame and then eventually to the Rams, and he was phenomenal, actually. He was really good, and this woman back in 2009, actually it wasn't a woman, it was a guy, catfished him as a woman, and it took him a long, long time, and he eventually forgave that person who did that to him, you know, that took away his, basically his career, that took away his livelihood, everything about it, and he forgave that person, which, great, but he eventually went to a sports psychologist because he just wasn't doing well, and the sports psychologist said to him, have you forgiven yourself? And he, that kind of hit him because we don't think about that, right? We don't think about forgiving ourselves for being put into unknown situations. You know, should you have been walking in that dark alley that night? No, but also why can't we walk down a dark alley without being mugged, you know? So... Being able to forgive yourself is just as important to the promises and the work and the steps as forgiving other people. You know, if you can't forgive yourself, then you're not going to be spiritually fit throughout the rest of the program. And I can truly attest to that. So, you know, it's really a big thing to be able to say, I forgive someone else even if you don't talk to them or... I forgive myself because then at that point we can start reconstructing our lives and there is nothing more rewarding than being able to say this is who I was and now this is who I am. You know, it talks about how we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it and I, pardon me, I love that because that is a huge sticking point for me. Um, when I was younger um, and in my alcoholism, I stole from my mom. Stole a lot of money from my mom. And it wasn't for drugs or alcohol. It was for other things. But that doesn't matter. The, the behaviors and things like that were there. So, you know, it, <laughs> it absolutely was an issue. I stole from my mom. She could have charged me with fraud. She could have charged me with theft. She could have charged me with so much stuff. And she didn't. And then two years later, she paid my restitution. So, you know, I mean, did I learn my lesson? No. Did I learn my lesson when I got charged with a crime? Still no. My mom never really let me fall on my face. And I am grateful for that. 
but I do have a strained relationship with her in an aspect that there has to be trust. There has to be growth. And I'm not quite sure at what point she got to that. But last week, I was talking to her about coming home and I found plane tickets for really cheap. And so I was like, hey, I found these plane tickets. Can I, you know, can you take care of them and then I'll pay you back? And she's like, yeah, no big deal. So, like, she took care of them, right? Well, the next day, we found Minnesota Twins tickets on sale. So I was like, oh, man, like, literally right down on the field, y'all. Like, oh, my God, they're so close to the field. I'm so excited. Um, and it's actually my favorite section. Like, it's my favorite section of the baseball field now, forever. And she's like, well, hey, I'm shopping right now. Can I give you my credit card number? You can buy them. And then, you know, just we'll, we'll go to the game. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. So my mom called me um, while she was shopping. And she stepped aside for those of you who are like, oh, my God, she read it out loud. Yes, she did, but not where anybody could hear her. And she gave me her credit card number, and I bought the Twins tickets. And that was such a feeling of accomplishment for me because not only did I buy my plane tickets and then pay her back, which is always a really good feeling, right? Now she's at the point where she trusts me enough to give me her credit card number, and then she's able to say, hey, when you're done with that, you know, cut it up or forget it or whatever, whatever needs to happen. So for me, that's a really big validation point. And I told my mom, thank you. You know, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for allowing me to do this for us. Because 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I was stealing from you, you know, and now look, I'm actually able to purchase something with your credit card and you trust me. Now, does temptation sneak up? Absolutely. Temptation always sneaks up because that's who I am. I'm an alcoholic and an addict and I live on the edge of fear and anxiety and I get anxious and I think that money can be the solution to a ton of problems and it's genuinely not. Um, it's really, money is not the solution to problems at all. The solution to problems is resources. Now, sometimes those resources might be money, but, you know, in a financial situation where things have been rough, I've really been able to use my resources and figure out how I'm going to make ends meet here or there or what we need to prioritize over this, and what resources are out there. If I paid this bill, what can I do with this one? So has it sucked? Yeah, it sucked in the past, but being able to use those resources and being able to get my mom to trust me shows me how far I have come, shows her how far I have come. And that is exactly what the promises are. The promises are that if we're painstaking of the phase of development where we are angry and scared and anxious and we have that self-pity, you know, we, if we can get through that, then truly, like, everything else, our attitude, our perspective, 
everything comes full circle. This weekend I spent uh, my birthday weekend hanging out with some baseball players from Virginia State University. I've started a nonprofit that gives back to people in the community, and I'm highly involved with now the guys from Virginia State. And I spent my birthday weekend not shopping, not at a girl's trip. I didn't go to Florida. I didn't go on a trip. I didn't do something selfish. I didn't do something that was self-seeking like I did last year, and it blew up in my face. This year's birthday was probably one of the best birthdays I've ever had. And why was it one of the best birthdays? Because I finally took a chapter out of this book, and I went, I want that. I want that life right there. But in order to get away from that self-seeking, in order to get away from that selfishness, I really had to allow myself to change. I really had to prey on it. I really had to work the program. And the more that I put into the program, the more that I put into what has been suggested as a program of recovery really does help me stand on my own feet. I don't crawl to anyone anymore. I really don't. I ask, I ask for help, but I don't crawl. And I don't let anyone use me. I don't let anyone make me feel useless. I don't let anyone make me feel like dirt because I have to ask. If those are the people that are in your life that when you ask for help make you feel like shit, get rid of those people. Because I promise you there are good people in your life that really actually do care. Um, so, you know, if we are painstaking of that about that part of that development, then we really are going to be amazed before we're halfway through. And I think a lot of that comes from our emotional maturity. I think that it comes from working hard. I think that it comes from putting it into practice. And, you know, it talks about in step 10 as it moves forward, you know, that we vigorously commence this way of life as we cleaned up the past. So it doesn't mean that we lackadaisically, you know, like tiptoeing through the tulips, took care of our issues. No, we, we vigorously went through them to make sure that all of our wreckage was cleaned up. Because if you don't clean up your wreckage, I promise you it will be there waiting for you when you're done in some form or fashion. That doesn't mean that if someone's in prison, they're not going to come back for you. But one way or another, if you don't take care of your debts or your issues, that issue will come back. Just because it disappears for a little bit, and I know prison seems like a a very, whoa, dark alley to go down, but it's true because just because that person's in prison doesn't mean that the problem has gone away. Just because you said you were sorry to someone doesn't change the feelings. Like, all these things are temporary until you really put in the effort to vigorously change your life. So we really need to grow in our understanding and that is not going to happen overnight. I'm still growing in my understanding. I really feel that year 12 of sobriety is no coincidence for me. Um, it really is 
man, everything is really coming around, right? Because year 10 and 12, or 10 and 11, sorry, I was still selfish. I was still dishonest. I was still resentful. And I still had a ton of fear. And all of those things, they led to some very poor decisions, befriending very shitty people, thinking that all I was worthy of was people like that, thinking that the girls in my life, the friends in my life, the people in my life, like that was all that I deserved because I I was alone. I was scared. I was alone and there was a pandemic and I wasn't home with my mom and there was no sports and I like there's just so much going on and so I allowed myself to believe that that lifestyle, those people, that's all that I was worthy of. And so once I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it's still not easy, but the further I get away from it, the more I look back at it and I'm like, oh, that was almost like a bad dream. And I absolutely love being able to do that. Um, I went to a brewery yesterday with my family because I'm looking for places to host a fundraiser and I wanted to check out this brewery, but it's in downtown and it's just a lot. Um, so <laughs> it's a lot of driving. Um, it's a lot of no parking. It's just a lot. So on the way there, I don't know what we were talking about, My but my son said something and he said, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm sorry, you can go ahead and delete this if you want, Jake. Um, but it dawned on me that on the way to this brewery that I was not even worried about drinking. Like, I don't even like the taste of beer. I really don't. I don't know if that would change with these microbrews, but I really don't give a shit. But I don't like the taste of beer. I don't think I even like liquor. Like, outside of wine, I I really don't think I like the taste of liquor or anything like that. But uh, there it was. There it was. It was right there. I drank it all the time. It was always available and needed and wanted and craved, but I really don't ever believe it was the taste of alcohol. I know it wasn't the taste of alcohol, right? Like, we all know that. We all know that that that's not why we're drinking or using. It's not the taste, but even outside of that, you know, when people say, well, don't you miss drinking? I don't think that I do. I think I miss the, if anything, looking back on it, it would have to be, like, the inhibitions, like, just how free I was and how, like, and happy and dancing all the time. But that wasn't, like, it's hard to say I even missed that because I don't even remember a lot of that. So there's nothing really to miss. And so it was just really quite the, the eye-opener. Oh, that's what it was. My son had said when we were on the way there, there's a bingo place that it said bingo beer and booze or something along those lines. And he's like, oh, you can't go there, Mom. And I was like, why? We're going to a brewery. And he's like, oh, well, 
Yeah, and it, like, didn't dawn on him, like, and that's fine, he's 16, that a brewery has beer, and that's fine, I really could care less, but that didn't click in his mind. (laughs) But, you know, I never really truly am interested in liquor, the taste of it, the smell of it, any of it. And even when I get frustrated, my thought isn't, you know, gosh, a beer would certainly taste good right now, right? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever sat back and thought, gosh, a beer would taste good right now? Or gosh, a vodka something would taste good right now? Like, no, that's not where our brains go. Our brains go to, oh my God, I need a fucking drink. Oh my God, I need an escape. Oh my God, I can't handle what's happening to me. Oh my God, I need to get out of here. You know, it's just that constant oh my God, I need relief. And now I don't even feel that way anymore. I don't feel like I need that relief. There are times when I get anxious. I think last week I had like a two or three day long panic attack and it was miserable. But I eventually conceded and took something for it just because I knew I needed to sleep and I was not feeling well. But never once did I think to myself, I need a drink to calm down or gosh, a beer would taste good right now. Really, truly, when I'm feeling pain, I don't even think about drinking, which is good, which is good. It shows I'm working my program. I do know that I want the pain to stop. But then that comes back to last week when we talked about our tools. What tools do I have in my toolbox? You know, what am I doing to make these promises come true? What am I doing to know peace and understand the word serenity. And those are the things that I go to now. Those are the things that when I can't handle something that's going on or I'm feeling overwhelmed, I have to use my resources. And that is something that comes with time. I don't think that anyone should feel bad for still making inadequate decisions, you know, in their first 30, 60, 90 days of sobriety, you know, even one or two years, we're still going to screw up, right? We're still going to make mistakes. That's part of human nature is making mistakes. But as you continue to vigorously change your way of life, you're going to find that you are stepping into that spiritual world that we talk about at AA, that you're going to step into that realm of serenity and peace. And those mistakes start to go away because you're constantly one step ahead of your addiction. You're constantly one step ahead of your brain. You're constantly thinking about doing the next right thing. And those promises, they just keep coming true and things get good and things get better. And that's when you have to stay consistent That's the most important thing is consistency, staying right there. And it's going to be hard. It is not going to be easy. I can tell you honestly, four and a half weeks ago, I never thought I'd be sitting here making this podcast because I was exhausted. I was frustrated. I was done with so many things and so many people. And I really did not feel that there was light at the end of the tunnel. I knew there was. I knew there was. I knew that if I just kept treading water... I would get there. But there is something to be said about treading water, and it is exhausting. So exhausting. So I get it. I really, really do. But I also know that there's this program and these people and this community 
and the ways of living have been given to us, doing the next right thing is right there. So even if we're still, you know, treading water, we can still do the next right thing. Even if it doesn't show that it's going to work right now, doing the next right thing is still going to be a product of making the right choices, living out this behavior correctly, and watching the promises come true. I can really attest to the fact that the promises really do work. The program works if you work it. And so with that, I am going to pass on this evening to uh, rest and relaxation and watching some baseball. And I really am thankful that I had extra time to record another podcast episode because I'm a moron. And um, see, mistakes still happen. I can't even work technology. So, um, But my attitude of gratitude this week is for the gentleman at VSU. Without them, none of this stuff would have been possible. They really, really, truly helped <laughs> me make up a wonderful day for some kids in the community. And without you guys, I would be truly lost. And thank you for showing me your selflessness. And thank you for truly being who you are. You have got an amazing coach, um, amazing coaches, and I just pray that you continue to be the good men that you are and grow in life. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. Until next time, until next time, fam. Be well. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of A Sober Girls Podcast. I hope that today's episode was something that you needed to hear today and can carry with you throughout the week until we get together next week. I really look forward to our time together and sharing my experience, strength, and hope so that you feel less alone and more empowered to keep taking it one day at a time. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and on Instagram at A Sober Girls Pod and on our website at asobergirlspodcast.podbean.com. There you can find episode-specific content and contact information. You can also hear us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Until next time, fam, be well.